I have so much to thank God for. So many reasons just to say thank you over and over and over again. God has been so good to me. And I know that even as I say that, that God has been so good to you. Good evening, saints. I am so glad to be with you this evening, and as always, whenever I stand behind this sacred desk, I want to thank my pastor, I want to give honor to God, and I want you to know this is both an honor and a tremendous responsibility. So please pray with me as we hear God's word from a letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm nervous because I'm not preaching from the Old Testament. <laughs> if you are able, would you please stand with me? Reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 19. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things, according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all these saints, and for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, yeah. you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe? According to the working of his great power. I want to speak to you this evening on the topic, inheritance of hope. An inheritance of hope. Lord, our hearts are open before you, and there are no secrets hid. So come into this space and do what only you can do. Amen. There's a television program called Long Lost Family. It's on TLC. And it's a show about individuals, most of whom are adopted, who are trying to find their birth families. Now, what's interesting is that in almost every episode, the person who's looking for their birth family was raised by loving parents. They're happy, they feel loved, they're well-adjusted people. They just have some questions that they need answered. They want to know, what, what's the story of my birth? Where do I come from? Who do I come from? Who are my people? And for some of the folks on this reality show, 
when they find their birth family, it explains some things. It explains why they love the kind of music they love or why their hair won't do what they want it to do. Some of them figure out that's why they're left-handed. Some of them feel like they're being introduced to themselves for the very first time. And I quote a friend of ours who was adopted, and when he met his birth parents, he came back and said, genes don't lie. There are things that are placed in us before we draw our first breaths that inform a little bit of who you are. You might think you know who you are. You may have some knowledge of yourself, but the amount of knowledge you have about who you are is tied to how well you know your roots and just how deep they go. So come with me to the book of Ephesians because the writer of this book is speaking to a long lost family. This is a strange book, Ephesians, because unlike 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, it's written to a specific church at a specific time because there was something happening that the writer needed to address. Ephesians is kind of a general letter. We think for the most part that the title to the Ephesians was added much later. This is a general letter that was read whenever Gentiles came to know Jesus. All right, we call it a circular letter. So we wanted everybody who came to know Christ to get the same message. So it's kind of like when we open the doors of the church and people come forward and we praise God and pastor greets him. And then he says, the deacons will take you in the back, right? You ever wonder what happens in the back, right? That's kind of what Ephesians is. Ephesians is the information that's given to new believers after they say yes to Jesus. And it is given to Gentiles because Gentiles needed to figure out what it meant to be a part of a religion which had pretty much been comprised of Jews. What does it mean for a Gentile to be a Christian? What is this new identity like? And so the language of this letter is intentional in making outsiders begin to feel like insiders. This is a book about formation. And one of the ways we form people is by naming. So those of you who belong to Greek letter organizations know something about this. Because when you express your desire to join said organization and they take you on, one of the first things they do is change your name. Right? And that's the name you have to answer to. And they can call you that name or anything else they want other than a child of God. And you will listen to it and nod and smile until they call you Sarar or Fret. Right? If you grew up like I grew up, you knew that you never called an adult by their first name. Right? Never. No exceptions. Even when they told you to, you would look at your mother because you knew that you better find auntie, cousin, miss, something to put in front of that name, right? Naming is the way that we convey value. It's a way of reflecting culture. And if you grew up in my house, it was a way of preserving your life. (laughs) Names matter. When our ancestors were enslaved, their names were taken away 
and they were given different names. That was a message that was conveyed about their value. And so the writer of Ephesians is intentional in calling all of the people who are addressed in this letter saints. Hagioi, saints. Saint, someone set apart. It's the most commonly used word for Christians in the New Testament. Saints. We are saints, y'all. If you didn't know it before, know it to sit up a little straighter. I'm a saint. What the writer wants people to know is you're not a Roman Christian. You're not an Ethiopian Christian. You're not a Greek Christian. You are a saint. And this is important because in most families, even the best of families, we can slip into a little rivalry. So in my family, because I just was just different enough from my sisters, every now and then they would say, you know you were adopted. (laughs) Y'all know this happens in families. We do this little back and forth, right? When the writer calls everyone saints, what they want us to understand is that the Jews have no priority over the Gentiles. Pentecostals don't love Jesus more than Baptists. Baptists aren't holier than Presbyterians. Presbyterians aren't getting to heaven before the Lutherans. And the Lutherans aren't more sanctified than Episcopalians. Hagioi, we are all saints. And one of the ways the writer wants to make this clear to us is by talking through the language of adoption. Now stay with me here, because usually we think about adoption as a family that takes someone that's not born to them and bringing them in and making them their own. And one of the major ways we think about becoming Christians as Gentiles is we are grafted onto the tree of Abraham. But in Ephesians, the writer says that It was God's plan for us to be a part of the family. God had an adoption plan for us from the beginning of time. Now think about, just think about that. At the beginning of time, there weren't Gentiles and Jews. There weren't Canaanites and Israelites and Philistines. There weren't Samaritans. We were all just people. And it's only because of our sin and our divisions and our hierarchies that we have all these races to begin with. So when God says he is adopting Gentiles, God is simply reclaiming God's own children. We were never not gods. God's simply bringing us back. This is the work of redemption. Redemption is when you buy back something that was already yours. God is bringing back God's own people through adoption. God proves that we are part of God's family by calling us saints, by using the language of adoption. And if that doesn't prove it, God says, and I have an inheritance for you. Now, here's the thing about an inheritance. Don't everybody get an inheritance, right? You have to name somebody to get, it has to be written down and certified by an attorney. So this is a specific kind of gift. Now, y'all know the holidays are coming, and you know there are going to be parties and celebrations, and there's going to come that moment when somebody comes to your house and they bring you a gift, and you don't have one for them. (laughs) But if you're a good hostess, you have a closet, and you go to that little closet, right? 
And in that closet are very nice, gender non-specific <laughs> gifts that are wrapped in colors that could be Christmas or could be a general housewarming gift. If you're good, you've got this thing set and you can tell by the shape of the box exactly what it is because you picked it up from Home Goods or Marshalls and you said to yourself, this is gonna be a good gift. And you come out and you act like you were thinking about that person, right? That's not an inheritance. That's not an inheritance. All right? When God includes the Gentiles, it was a part of God's plan. This is not a last minute thing. This isn't a, oh yeah, let's go get them. God had a plan for all of us from the beginning of time to become saints. Saints of God. It's set aside and it is for you as a member of the family. And membership in this family has privileges. The privilege of inheritance is something that is available for every saint. The inheritance that is sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit is power. The Holy Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit gives us power to live. Power to live. Now listen to me, because the early church was constantly under the threat of persecution. Becoming a Christian meant you were risking your life. The early church then had a mindset of surviving. Listen to me, church. If you are a community that is under constant persecution, if you belong to a group of people who struggle to survive, then you may make the mistake of thinking that surviving is living. Surviving is not living. The power of the Holy Spirit is to live and to say that those powers that threaten us, you don't have control over my life today. Today, I walk in the knowledge that God has appointed the day of my birth and the day of my death, and you do not get to choose. Whether I live or whether I die, I belong to the Lord. The power to be more than a survivor means we recognize God did not preserve your life just so you can get along. God did not protect you from danger seen and unseen so you could have a meager existence. You are not fearfully and wonderfully made so you can go exist in the shadows. God made a plan for your life so that you can move into this world without other people telling you who you are and who you aren't, what you can and what you can't be. The power of the Holy Spirit to live means you get to sit up straight in the face of all the isms that want to push you down. You are not just a survivor, you are a saint. You have a purpose and an inheritance. 
And I want you to think about this. This is a matter of what you see and how you see yourself in the world. And the difference between David and all of the entire army of Israel was how they saw who they were in the world. The army spent a whole lot of airtime describing Goliath, how tall he was, how much his, his armor weighed, what the spear was like. They spent so much energy describing the enemy and they forgot the one thing that David knew, who God was, who God was. We spend a lot of time talking about everything that's wrong in the world. Five minutes of news and you've got a whole day's worth of complaining. A whole day. And we rehearse it and we rehearse it and we get with other people and we keep talking about it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you forgot that you have the power of the Holy Spirit to live. To live. Yesterday was All Saints Day. Now, All Saints Day was started in the fourth century, and it is a practice, a day to remember the saints, the people who were martyred, um, the mothers and fathers of the church. Um, in some traditions, All Saints Day is when you remember the person who led you to the Lord. Remember your Sunday school teacher. Remember the person who baptized you. It's a moment to remember you didn't get here all by yourself, that there's a whole line of saints behind you that have brought you to this place. It's a moment to stop and say thank you. There are some saints. There are some ancestors who had such an identity in Christ that they would not bend to the powers or forces around them. Yeah. One of them was named Araminta Moss. Yeah. Araminta Moss yeah. knew that she could not live abundantly under the constraints that were put upon her. And she decided, I'm not going to survive, I'm going to live. I'm going to live. And the Lord allowed her to pursue life, to stand up and live abundantly, to take down powers and principalities and to dismantle strongholds. It's our inheritance, the power to live, the power to, to endure difficulties and not lose your mind. It's your inheritance. The other power that we get from this inheritance is the power to love. Now listen to me, saints, because when we unpack this inheritance that we have received, the one thing we'll recognize is that it's rooted in the power of love. Public service announcement. This has nothing to do with my sermon. Do not give your heart to someone who doesn't love themselves. Don't do it. You can't fix it. You can't love them up. You can't fill the void. Okay? The reason this matters is because we have to understand how love interacts with power. Power without love is abuse. Power without love is tyranny. Now come on the other side. Because an anemic love is codependency. We 
have to move in the power of God's love for us. And your Sunday school teacher may not have told you this, but it starts with you loving yourself. This, they, they taught us this song in Sunday school and it was wrong. They said, Jesus and others and you, what a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus and others and you, in the life of each girl and each boy, J is for Jesus, for he has first place. That's right. O is for others we meet face to face. I'm not sure. Y is for you. In whatever you do, put yourself last and spell joy. It may spell joy, but that may not be the way to really love somebody. Let me tell you how this works, church. Some of us are drawn to church because we feel the love of Jesus and we feel the love of the congregation and because we haven't figured out how to love ourselves. And until we grow in the fullness of love and let God love on us, don't join an organization, don't sign up to serve in the church because you are a mess. You have to love yourself so that you can serve somebody else. We have to figure out how God's going to fill that void in us so that we get the balance between love and power right. When you're crying because they didn't call your name, you don't love yourself enough. We have to understand that we were created in the image of God and what God made is good. It's good. You are good. You are worthy to love and love yourself. I have a friend who was telling me she was at a church where um, the, um, there was a new baby. And the women of the church took the baby and they danced down the aisle and now up this way and around. They did a figure eight. And they said over and over again, look what God has done. That's who you are. You are worthy of being celebrated just because you were made in the image of God. And anybody who tries to take you away from that is not worthy of your time. Your first job is to love yourself. Receive God's love, embrace it and embody it. And when that happens, two things will result. You will be able to freely love others and you will not waste your time on foolishness. Araminta Moss, our saint Harriet Tubman, also known as Moses, was so full of the love of God that she realized that there were going to be times when there were people who could not go with her. There were people who were not ready to go with her. And the person who's not ready will jeopardize the entire operation. They can't come. They can't come. And we have to trust that God's love for them is enough that we're going to leave them right there until they're ready. All right? Don't you stay behind because somebody else is not ready. You go and let God deal with them. Do not stay in bondage because God's best for you might be on the other side of the river. We have as an inheritance the power to live, the power to love, and the power of hope.
Now this, I love this word, this word hope, so I looked it up, and you know, it's a Greek, I had to take, it took me a minute, I found it, and this word has two possibilities. It's an expectation, it's an expectation, an anticipation, but it's an anticipation either of something evil or something good. So hope is an expectation, but where you place your hope is up to you. It's up to you. Hope is intentional and hope is selective. Where are you putting your hope? Where are you hoping that God is going to move? Where are you directing yourself? What are you looking at? I've been thinking about this a lot because this is, we're, we're talking about saints, we're talking about all of those who have gone before. In the last two years, I've been starting to feel heavy in my spirit. Toni Morrison's gone. Jesse Norman is gone. Nellie Quander is gone. These are people who really had an impact on my life. And I'm looking at them and they're gone. Bill Emery, Elijah Cummings, Ted Smith, John Conyers, Kane Hope Felder, gone. Where is my hope? Where am I looking? It's all right to celebrate and remember and miss those who have gone before but they finished their lap. And it's our turn to do our lap. So every time we rehearse the names of all those people who have gone before, don't forget to say your name, all right? Say Harriet, Araminta, whatever you wanna call her, Moses, and me. That I wanna live in that hope. I want to look for that hope. I want to look to the author and finisher of our faith. Now think about that. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. That's the beginning and the end. That means the only place you have is in the middle. So stay with me, because when I was in high school, I was a sprinter, I ran track. And back then it was yards, not meters, all right? So we had the four by 100. Now my sister, my younger sister, she was the fastest one on the track team, so she was the fourth leg. All right, she brought it home. I was the second fastest, which was a point of contention because she was my younger sister, but I was the second fastest, so I started it off. That was leg one and leg four. If you are not leg one and if you are not leg four, you all do the same thing. Whether you're two, three, whether there's 17 legs in the race, you are in position ready to receive the baton. You look back one time, right? You look back, you wanna see when they hit a certain mark, what do you do? Look ahead. No sprinter keeps looking back. You put your hand back, you receive the baton, and you go. You go. We are a people of hope because hope means you cannot just look behind you. Look ahead to the finisher of our faith. This God we serve has given us an inheritance and we are also the inheritance. We are the hope. 
We are the life. We are the love that this world needs. It's time for us to live into our inheritance as the saints of God. Amen.